to hear myself talk. What's up, everybody? We have not had a podcast in a while. Uh, I've been holed up uh, in a number of ways, but we've been focusing on working on the new website uh, for Audi Club, including a lot of the membership transaction stuff and a lot of uh, kind of mechanical behind the scenes stuff, CRM, that users will be experienced, members will be experiencing soon. We have been wanting to focus on that. So I've kind of let things like podcasts that are a little less critical uh, kind of fall to the wayside while we prioritize getting that completed uh, as it's way overdue. And, uh, and we're looking forward to having it done. So Rather than continuing to go long without having a podcast, I decided to try and uh, take some time. Right now I have COVID, uh, asymptomatic. I wouldn't even know I had it, but my wife had it. So I tested and it turns out I have it. Uh, so I'm quarantining. I'm going to take a little bit of time to uh, basically go through some stuff I learned in the last, making the last magazine and riff on my own. So we'll see how much I can talk to myself. And if I manage to do it, Great. Maybe it'll make it an entertaining podcast, or maybe we'll just all be convinced at how much I like to hear myself talk. So what's the point of the, this podcast today? Obviously, we don't have a guest, uh, and I've been wanting to do one about uh, the last issue of the magazine. The last issue of the magazine was kind of focused on technology, right? Uh, and a big part of that focus was electromobility. And uh, I've owned an EV for a number of years now, and uh, we use it as a daily driver. It's my wife's car. Uh, and we've learned a lot, thought I'd learned a lot already, but with a focus on EV, uh, learned a lot more. And and uh, we covered a lot of ins and outs of different parts of the EV experience at Audi and beyond. And so I, while we told all those stories in the magazine. I'd encourage if you're an Audi Club member, you probably have a copy already. Not an Audi Club member and you want it, we, we have extra copies. So would love to have you join those, mem- those magazines go out to um, Audi Club members. So typically that would be like, once you join, you get the next four issues from that point. But if you uh, really want to see this issue or any particular issue uh, and you join, that issue's out, maybe you missed it, you can call into our office and, you know, let us know that you've joined, we'll confirm that and that you'd like the current issue and we can get that out to you. So uh, I'll go through what we kind of did in the magazine and cause I'd love to kind of touch on what I learned in a bunch of those things. And then, uh, yeah, if you, if you like what you heard, you know, or, or you're interested in learning more about what you heard, by all means, um, join if you haven't and, and drop a note to our office, let Bill know and, and, uh, and we can get one out to you. Before I get into the magazine, it's probably worth stating, uh, with EV, it's a touchy subject, right? Uh, sometimes I feel it's like uh, an early adopter of EV, somebody who gets the uh, auto industry is going there, gets there's going to be a big transition and that that's basically inevitable, right? Like uh, it, it will be happening and ICE is kind of on its, um, at least on its way towards more obscurity in the automotive industry where EV will probably be the most dominant uh, form of mobility uh, in the next couple of years, it'll it'll probably start to shift to that, right? It's already been growing in quite a big portions of the the industry. And so when you're kind of in and around this, there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable or don't want to see that change happen. Maybe people really like their ICE cars. I know I like the ones I have. I love them very much and, and I'm uh, quite passionate about them. But I also really like RV and and uh, but there are people who are really into ICE and really do not want to see that change. And they kind of uh, 
almost take offense to that, or certainly, or at least put off a bit by it. And then there are other people who are who are really, really ready to make that change already, right? Like they're, they're very concerned about, um, you know, our, our global impact with with carbon dioxide production, and, and so wanting to to move to uh, electromobility faster. Obviously, you can get into a whole discussion about like the cleanliness of battery production, and everything else, and and that's a whole other discussion. But but where I'm going with that is more uh, as as technology picks up and it's already has quite a bit, we'll have more energy dense and, and cheaper and cleaner to produce batteries. And that's what any industry does. It improves upon itself. Look at internal combustion from when it started to internal combustion now. Uh, it's a very different animal. Same with EV, right? So uh, comparing where EV is today or where it was five years ago when a lot of the, the current in-production battery technology was, was um, developed, it's just not really a fair comparison, right? So let's just assume it's going to go there. But it, but it's hard sometimes because I find myself as an early adopter and somebody who's pro EV but also loves ICE in between like kind of two factions, right? And, and speaking to the extremes now, there are people on, on all sides of the spectrum, but you have like people who are just like completely anti-EV uh, and quite ardent about that. And then you have people who are convinced that it's happening tomorrow and it's a little bit more Kool-Aid, like, right? Like they don't want to see the... The shortcomings of EV uh, and electromobility and what comes of that. So I thought I'd kind of touch on that. I, I experienced EV in a way even I hadn't experienced uh, in the making of this issue of the magazine. And so uh, I figured I'd, I'd touch on all that. And then since um, since we launched the magazine, Audi has also launched their latest EV um, concept cars. So the active sphere concept is uh, we're told PPE based. PPE is Audi's new architecture for electrics, uh, uh, luxury, more luxury oriented products. So it'll be, it'll house everything from the next generation A6, um, next generation Q6. Those are kind of the inbound close products, Porsche Macan, um, some other Volkswagen Group products, but, but more luxurious, uh, larger car uh, products. And this is based on that component set. And the, it, the idea is really interesting, right? When you take EVs and and the kind of less limitations you have on packaging, because it's, you know, motors and batteries much more compact than say an internal combustion engine car, um, you can do a lot of things. So while the, this um, this active sphere is almost like a, um, a, 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 almost looks like an A7 Sportback. It's probably about that size. And at the same time, it is uh, pickup, right? It's got um, suicide, if you will, right? Like the the, um, barn door style opening side doors. And then it, it, unlike a, a sport back, it's got this unique tailgate that like with the rear glass kind of slides forward and um, there's, it reveals a bed and there's a gate at the back instead of, you know, this sort of hatchback uh, that a sport back has. So um, it makes not, you know, it's not going to replace a, you know, an F-150 or, uh, you know, that sort of thing, or even a smaller, uh, a smaller pickup truck, but it's, it, it creates a very usable bed for somebody with an active lifestyle for like bikes or gear or whatever. Um, and then with it closed, it's much more of a, a car. Although uh, because it's raised and elevated, it's probably like what a, an, an almost like an A7 Sportback body on like a on like a Q7 chassis. Almost like you know, while it's an EV, it's 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 that right the, from the from the wheels down or the the waist down, it's almost like an SUV, and that that lends itself to EVs, right? Because you have um, often battery packaging in the bottom, so like you have where you see those kind of ribbed side sills on this car, um, 
that that's that kind of bulk, right? Where those lower batteries would be. And then above it is very much an A7, right? Maybe even a more aggressively low, low roof line than an A7. So it's an interesting concept. It's, you know, with a, the glass side sills and the glass single frame grill, uh, that interior, it's, it's more concept car than it is reality, let's say. But at the same time, it's easy to see how Audi could make this sort of product uh, where it's like a, this sort of conversion sport back into, um, into pickup truck, if you will. So Audi calls the body style active uh, sport back. And uh, it, if they make it, I'm sure they'll sell a ton of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do multiple sizes, like, a, you know, like an A5 or an A7. Um, they haven't kind of indicated that they will build it, but they were sitting through the presentation on the vehicle they were very encouraged by what they created here and, and definitely see the market potential of it. So neat thing. I uh, wanted to, to share that because it's, it's kind of a new and big deal uh, at Audi. Uh, but in the meantime, we did just wrap on the technique issue, if you will, Vorsprungdruck technique uh, is, is, you know, Audi's progress through technology um, loosely translated uh, taglines they've used since the earliest days of Quattro. Audi's got a long tradition of like moving new technology, whether that's Quattro wheel drive, whether that's um, aluminum space frames or multi-material space frames or uh, you know diesel. I know that that's a mixed thing, right? But but with diesel gate and everything else, but there's no denying that Audi using like synthetic diesels and and hybrid drivetrains at Le Mans is significant and dominated for years. And, and um, you know, the advantages of diesel, unfortunately, sometimes are lost in the in the cloud of, of what Dieselgate represented. But at the same time, it is significant technology. And so uh, I embrace it, even if sometimes it's a little uh, politically incorrect just because of what happened. And for good reason. But, but at the same time, objectively, it was still interesting technology and still used today quite a bit in Europe. Uh, anyway, we did this technique issue as a result, and we usually do our four covers, right? So um, we did one for the car. I'm going to show a couple alternates that we did in, for this issue too, just playing around here. But so we, we were looking at doing one for the car and the RSQ e-tron, and then uh, went to visit e-legend when we were in Germany. That's an alternate that we did there. And then we also did uh, one on Hoonigan and filming of Electricana and Ken Block have a couple alternate designs for that. And then finally did a feature on an Etron S that Pacific German had built and food for Audi shot and just cool shows where, you know, even enthusiasts with privately owned cars are, are tuning their cars. So it was an interesting addition to this kind of electromobility heavy issue. It wasn't expressly an electromobility issue. It was more about technology, but of course, electromobility is the best next big technology at Audi. And so I um, wanted to make sure that that was a big part of it. With the issue of the magazine, we tried to keep it neutral, right? Like, uh, just pragmatically, members of Audi Club are internal combustion enthusiasts, they're EV enthusiasts, they're all of the above. And I think the commonality at Audi is, um, and amongst Audi enthusiasts, is, is an appreciation for new technology across the board. So knowing that we're not here to wave the flag of everything new is going to be e-tron, that's a big part of what's going on right now, but we're also here to wave the flag for all the other great cars, new and old, uh, that Audi's built over the years. And so... That's very much in the thinking of the way we chose content and chose to approach everything we do. Uh, so, so there's that. You know, we know that that EVs uh, will see, like the you know they're they're coming and they're going to dominate and they're going to take over the industry. And 
Um, that doesn't mean ice will go away, right? You see Volkswagen group brands like Porsche experimenting with synthetic fuels and, and what have you. It, it's, it's probably safe to assume that internal combustion will stick around. I think the main, the main though, um, question for most automotive consumers is how soon most of the industry kind of makes the switch over. And, and uh, so that's always part of the part of the discussion. One of the things we kind of covered in this issue, uh, speaking to the internal combustion side, is a couple new models that popped up uh, celebrate, I guess, the the sunsetting, if you will, of the TT and the R8, which are two of Audi's, you know, iconic models. That, and um, even you can see in this press photography, it, it, I'm sure the the artistic license of the the photographers or or CGI artists who created these is definitely seen, right? You can see the sunset theme is not lost. I can go through a lot of that photography and, and um, there's a lot more. These are the TTRS uh, um, icon edition from Germany and then the RAGT that is coming to the US. TTRS of course is already gone in the US and, and we're down to TTS and TT and both of those will probably see their end of availability. If, if not by the end of this year, 2023, then not long after, right? So. Um, for that reason too, uh, it's kind of sad, right? Like these these were such significant models. Um, there's such pure models in so many ways from when you look at the internal combustion technology where there's uh, the R8 with its V10 and the Huracan are the last normally aspirated V10s in the market. Supercars normally aspirated in general are, are hard to come by. And, uh, and the TTRS of course, with its five cylinder turbo, um, the 2.5 TFSI is, is or the just turbocharged five cylinders in general are also uh, a theme at Audi since the early eighties and uh, iconic as well. And so much loved and such a strong identifier for Audi, uh, seeing them going away without direct replacements, even ED replacements named, uh, yet is, is kind of hard to watch. So interesting to, to, you know, watch it and lamenting it a little bit, right? Like that's, that's just kind of, um, you know, we know it's coming, but, but kind of wishing and hoping that Audi, knows to handle it with the care and delicacy it deserves the respect it deserves is is you know something i think everybody wishes and hopes for so you know waiting to see how i know audi plans to celebrate the tt and the r8 more as they head out and we're looking forward to seeing what they do but at the same time we're also looking forward to seeing uh that that lineage not end and how it doesn't end i guess it's up to audi to decide right whether it's it's something internal combustion uh ev or some sort of um, mix of the two through some sort of hybrid, but I don't even know that Ari, it's been decided on that. Probably next, the next TT will be electric, but it's, it's, um, it's something we're all, all eager to kind of see how it plays out because man, if everything's crossovers in the future, nothing against um, Q5s and Q7s and vehicles like that, they're excellent products. Uh, I've, I've had a couple of my family too, you know, I, I appreciate them, but there's something that drives passion uh, when you're talking about, um, a sports car or even a, an Avant, the, the RS6 that I just really hope that, 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 you know, or I'm eager to see what's next. Anyway, next up flew to California into the Q4 launch, the domestic launch for Q4 as a new model. And uh, we drove them in kind of like uh, the area in and around um, kind of in between LA and, and San Diego share the car I drove, just like a Sportback S-Line. On one hand, I was kind of mixed, right? Like you go into this vehicle and you're like, man, it's a, 
it's a small crossover, right? So it's Audi's most economic at this point uh, crossover. Inside, it's actually more Q5 size, so it's great use of space, shows to the, the strength of EVs. But crossovers in general, kind of like what I was saying before, like it, it just, they, they, I get worried because you get closer to the appliancification of cars, right? Like they, they become this just sort of very utilitarian uh, people mover uh, or, or stuff mover. Uh, and less about the kind of just driving enjoyment that tends to be represented by sports cars or sporting cars like Audi's RS models, et cetera. So like, you know, knowing that Audi has to like launch strong in the EV space, seeing them launch with crossovers makes total sense. But driving a small STV isn't exactly my idea of like going for an enthusiast drive. And so even that morning when we went out and they said, okay, you drive today is going to be like out of it was like uh oceanside california uh but but uh anyway that we drove the car around town kind of out of town and then uh out into kind of more canyon like winding driving so you see like kind of normal commuter traffic like most owners would experience and then you see kind of more sporting uh driving situations where you might go out and enjoy yourself uh if you're in a uh you know kind of a sports car or you might you know the fantasy is you're out there in a sports car, right? The reality is I'm out there in a small crossover and it's electric. And I've got to say, like, I was flatly surprised uh, at the car and, and and how good it was. And part of that is, um, you know, we own an e-tron and knowing what a big, heavy car that kind of drives like at times, an e-tron is like 400 pounds heavier than an SQ7. So like, give you an idea of the kind of mass you're moving around in an e-tron. Um, the, the Q4 e-tron is quite a bit lighter. I, I cover how much lighter in this story. I don't remember offhand uh, how many hundred pounds lighter it is, but it's it's quite a bit more nimble on its feet. Steel suspension helps. Obviously, the battery is low in all of these vehicles in the chassis, so that kind of keeps the center of gravity down. But in an e-tron, when you're like in corners and stuff, you still kind of, well, it's flat because the weight is so low. You're still pushing so much weight around it. Like you never quite get around physics where like you get into an extreme situation in wet or you know, at the edge of adhesion, whatever, and you start you know, coming to terms with the reality of the mass that you're moving around. And in the Q4, it just felt a lot lighter uh, and more nimble on its feet. And on top of that, it has not full on one pedal uh, driving. And again, we'll touch on that in the story. So read the magazine for that. I'm not going to dig too much into one pedal driving, but it's basically like you get off the throttle and you kind of come into torque braking immediately. It's almost like driving around in like second gear in a, in a stick car, right? You're higher up and you let off and you have all this immediate torque braking. That's effectively what it does. And in sporting driving around canyons, it's like it works like you're in a low gear and a manual transmission and you can come off throttle on torque brake much like you would a manual car. And that made it so much more interesting to drive. You could drive more with the torque braking. Um, and using that, and I, it's something I, I miss about automatic cars. You can kind of do in a DSG, right? But like, but in EVs, it's kind of lost. Or, but it's not actually with one pedal driving. So that was really cool, and I actually came away really enjoying it. Like, it's still because it's a small STV or small crossover. It's still a bit of an appliance, just in form, right? Not, and I'm not talking about the. I actually think it's quite handsome, the Audi design language on it, and you know, kind of using the old C3 Avant kind of like glass down around with a spoiler. Um, it's it, it's a, a neat in, interpretation of a small SUV sport back in, in, you know, both using modern and iconic Audi design. So like, that's all cool, but it's still, again, an SUV. And so, I don't know, I, I'm still looking forward to seeing the sports cars or the sporting Avants uh, or sedans that eventually come that are a little bit more in, 
in kind of uh, speaking to the models from Audi's ICE era that I really appreciated most. But I've got to say, it's a great product, and I'm sure they're selling a ton of them. Um, I, we'd probably get one, maybe we will, who knows, uh, when our e-tron comes time for replacing. But it's, I can't, I can't, uh, I went into it thinking I'd be really critical of it uh, because it's a small SUV, and uh, that's expected, right? It was just very predictable that it would be a small SUV that Audi would kind of lead in with. Um, but it it was frankly very good. And kind of right after that, right when I left Seaside, Oceanside, where the heck it was, uh, I grabbed, I borrowed an RSE Tron GT and headed up to LA. That was kind of like a SoCal Euro, big SoCal Euro was the following weekends. And I was done on like a Thursday. So I was able to borrow a press car uh, RSE Tron GT uh, that they had down there that needed moving back up to LA anyway. And they let me borrow a few couple of days, got up to uh, Good Vibes Breakfast Club uh, up on Angeles Crest Highway um, at Newcomb's Ranch. And uh, the RS e-tron GT, obviously, same platform as the Porsche Taycan, but I would argue better looking. Um, like the dash controls a little bit better than the Taycan too. And, and uh, you know, just very, very fast, very capable car. I uh, had an excellent time going up through Angeles Crest. I think I, I eventually kind of, started to feel a little bit greasy in the tires because again, you're moving so much weight around and there's so many curves and switchbacks on Angela's Crest. And I was kind of arguably keeping up some uh, 911s and an Acura NSX that I kind of found myself behind as I was headed up there. There's a, this cars and coffee happens at, at um, Good Vibes Breakfast Club and a lot of car enthusiasts go out there. So uh, head out there on a Friday morning and you're more likely going to end up behind more car enthusiasts, um, even more so than you would normally catch on Angela's Crest, which is a popular place for enthusiasts to go with cars. So yeah, the e-tron GT is, is just a great, great car. It's still heavy though, right? And it's still quite big. I think that's the other side of it. We're like, uh, speaking of the TT, right? With the TT going away, it's such a great little size. You can kind of pick your lane and, or pick your uh, line and, and not leave your lane on most roads. Um, I've shown some really tight, like Italian or, you know, whatever roads. A, a TT is a really great size and, and just so low and compact and light frankly, with its aluminum space frame and, you know, especially with like a two liter, maybe not the most powerful engine, but you just have so little weight in that vehicle that like, it's a very tossable thing. And the e-tron GT is, you know, it is a big grand touring four door, right? So like the GT name is fitting, but like, I don't know, just kind of is what it is. I loved it. And, and again, I'd love to have one. Frankly, it was much more sporting than the Q4, but honestly, here's the weird thing. The Q4 is so much lighter and with the steel suspension, I, it, it almost seems as tossable as the e-tron GT. I, you know, I, I didn't test these back to back, so this isn't a scientific study. I'm just kind of going on um, kind of like seat of the pants impressions. But um, it was int also interesting to see the, the e-tron GT shares a lot of the switch gear as the Q4, right? So uh, a lot of the central stack switches and um, infotainment and and things are, are shared with Q4. I, I'm looking forward to the sort of like, B mode, uh, single pedal style driving mode, uh, which isn't currently in the RSE Tron GT. It does have some kind of recuperation shift down, shift down uh, points. It's not really shifting down, right? It's just setting up different levels of torque braking with software, but you do that with shift paddles on the, um, on the steering wheel. And then you, you don't go fully into this like B mode thing that they're calling it in Q4. And I, I could see where that's hopefully like a mid life cycle kind of freshening new thing to be added to the car because it was it was really really enjoyable to have uh not just as a i'm sure it's great for like recuperating energy and you know around town traffic there too but honestly 
you know, it, when you're uh, speaking to enthusiasts, at least, right? Like I, in the, or at least in the case where I'm thinking about the breaking, I'm less cared about the recuperation, you know, okay, if I'm commuting, I care, but like, otherwise, if I'm driving more spiritedly, I'm just concerned about like weight transfer and braking, et cetera. And so like this torque braking and, and um, I don't know, it would just be a great addition to the e-tron GT. Moving along, the next story we did in the book after California, uh, I caught up with Brian Scotto of Hoonigan, uh, who's also on Audi Club's board of directors. Uh, Brian's a, a really authentic, um, authentically Audi and you know, legitimate Audi enthusiast for, has been so since for years, has been around the block, Hoonigan, of course, for years. So, um, and of course they've been doing these Jim Connor films and um, this was before very tragically Ken Block passed away on January 2nd of this year. Brian and I caught up in December uh, to kind of talk about the making of Electricana, which if you haven't watched it is one of the Jim Connor style Hoonigan films that's available on YouTube, but this was done with the uh, Audi S1 Hoonitron and the, the kind of custom built concept that Audi had done when they hooked up with Hoonigan to make these films. Made to look like the old S1, right? That would have raced at Pikes Peak. And they they ran it at Vegas for the filming of Electricana 1. Really impressive. And we kind of talked about what they learned in the making of that, right? Like for me, this was one of the most interesting stories because Hoonigan and and what Brian and Ken and the team there were doing with those Jim Connor films is kind of showing this fantasy, if you will, of, of what not a lot of people do with their cars, but it, it's such a, um, such a, a show of capability and, and how you can have fun with these things, but they're not just appliances, right? And I think Hoonigan resides on this polar opposite of the idea of vehicles used as appliance or vehicles used as um, a, a, an expression or, or having fun, et cetera. And, and that's decidedly the side that Hoonigan is on, right? Um, and it's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, um, it's something to be passionate about and to be enjoyed, uh, not just something to get you from A to B. And, and uh, so seeing how they embrace EV and electric is really interesting, right? Of course, being able to tie in with Audi, Brian being an enthusiast with that, for Audi uh, and having a passion for Audi for years, being able to tie in with Audi, that deal came together largely because of Brian. And I'm sure being able to do it was very exciting to him, perhaps doing it EV only because though they built, you know, Kim built the Sport Quattro, Brian has his Coupe Quattro, and those are all ICE cars. The the deal with Audi was to do um, Electriconas only, right? So like using electrics to do these. And uh, that was, I think, a shrewd move on Audi's part because it was a decision to spend, I have to th- imagine, a, a, an exorbitant amount of money to build these cars, but but to show that it's not just about A to B travel like you might have in a, an autonomous um, sphere concept or, or whatever, but that it's also uh, about doing these really um, passion-inducing and, and, and um, sporting things uh, with the cars. And there aren't really any racing series, I guess Formula E sort of, but not really. Uh, there aren't really ways right now in motorsport to sort of express that. I think Audi's explored that with Formula E. They've explored it with uh, the hybrids at Le Mans. They've explored it with the car. But, you know, by doing it as Volkswagen did at Pikes Peak or by doing as, as Porsche did with the 919 hybrid, once they uh, took it off the leash and took it outside of like, you know, FIA rules and just ran for record lap times at tracks, 
Uh, these are very unique ways, kind of out of the box ways, thinking of, of doing and showing what these vehicles are capable of without, you know, in kind of more open ways that sometimes motorsport rules won't really allow you to do. And that's exactly what they did with Electricana, right? They allowed them to do whatever the hell they wanted. And um, they did some really cool stuff. And so in that story, Brian kind of shared with me a lot of the technical lessons learned about what they could do with the car, not having the um, going back to the shifting down, right? Like not when you have a transmission, you can you can change the weight of the car by changing gear uh, and changing acceleration, right? So or deceleration, and so that's a really interesting way to um, to make these tricks happen. And and so working with the the Hunatron at the time, it didn't really have a way to do that. Uh, they're doing different things and they're able to do some things much, much bigger and they're not able to do other things at all. Right. Like, and so it's, it's, it's very much um, almost like a, a, a bottled down version of, of what the rest of the industry is experiencing with moving to EVs, right? There's a lot of things you can do with an EV uh, that you can't do with a nice car. And there are a lot of things you can't do uh, that you can only do with a nice car. And so um, learning that is, is I guess the magic and the fact that Audi kind of put this trust in Hoonigan uh, and, and Ken in particular to sort of expand, experience that, to experiment with it is really progressive thinking in uh, an enthusiast capacity, right? So it's encouraging that that Audi would put that much investment in this side of the business, right? It's, it's more often than not, you see the Q4 and, you know, e-tron and these kind of safe people mover type products. And you think, oh, that you know, maybe they don't care about, about the driving enthusiasm things. You see the TT going away and the RA going away and you think, oh gosh, it's, it's you know, they've, they've lost the, um, the plot, but I don't think they have. Uh, I think sometimes some executives do, right? Like the, it's it's very all encompassing to see where electrics go and how much of the business that's going to come. And of course, you need to make money to make all this happen. But at the same time, uh, an investment in things like Electricana clearly show that Audi is very concerned and and very and it's very important to them that EV be more than just A to B uh, travel and within electric uh, drivetrain. So. Really encouraging. I guess beyond that, before I move away from Electricana and Hoonigan, uh, I probably ought to talk about Ken. I, I didn't know Ken. Unfortunately, I never had the chance to meet him. I was supposed to go to filming in, in Vegas uh, when it was initially scheduled, and then it got pushed back because of some uh, challenges they had with scheduling and, and technical difficulties and got pushed back a couple months. And unfortunately, it was scheduled next during family vacation uh, that I had already booked with my, my wife and kids. And so you know, that wasn't going to work. Fortunately, Leanne Copers from our team uh, was able to go and attend and be part of that. So maybe we'll have to have her on a podcast sometime to, to talk about it. But beyond that, maybe seeing Ken at CMA from afar or whatever. But uh, while I've gotten to know Brian over the years, and he's a great individual. When it comes to Ken Block, I, I can only live through the experiences others share with me. So whether it's Brian or Dave Pucarora, who was who would worked with him in, in, in his Park City, um, Hoonigan Racing Facility, et cetera. I, everything I hear is that he was such an incredible individual beyond the the influence and the uh, inspiration that he was to all of us who are car enthusiasts and, and what he did online, you know, just that he was great dad and uh, fantastic family man and great to the people around him and inspirational, et cetera, um, beyond just cars is, is really notable. And, you know, he's a, he's a loss to his passing is, is uh, will affect the car industry uh, and the car hobby quite a bit. We've already seen so much about him. So I, I don't know that I can offer anything else other than I hope what Ken inspired and what Ken had set into motion doesn't end. 
uh, as Ken goes away, right? I hope that like others pick up the baton there and keep going with it. I think that's one, what Ken would have wanted, but two, I think what's the car hobby. It, it is what the car hobby needs uh, and it's what the car industry needs because in a world of autonomous appliances, um, you know, what's, what's, what's the point? I, it becomes a commodity, uh, cars do. And, and, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of independence and self-expression, passion, et cetera, it's, it's a magical thing. I think that's what drives us all, uh, to this space. And I think Ken was on the forefront of, of waving that flag, right. And, and inspiring people to do that. There's so many other people out there inspiring as well. So, uh, I'm not discouraged, uh, that I think it's uh, a problem. But I am discouraged that Ken's not part of it because Ken was certainly a leader and, and will be sorely missed. So the next story we did was Dakar. And I think here again is kind of in the same vein. I think I mentioned it before as Electricana. Oh, hold on. Let me back up a minute. Uh, Electricana, um, Brian mentioned it in the previous story. So I don't think I'm letting any secrets out, but, but they actually filmed another one. Right. Like they were they were moving so fast that Electricana got filmed in Vegas. And then by the time it was out, they had already been I don't know if it was already filmed, but it, it was already filmed before the end of the year. There was another one filmed and they, they had learned so much with the first filming that they had evolved the car a bit. And uh, Ken was able to do stuff. I, as I understand it, I wasn't there, but was able to do stuff that he hadn't been able to do before. So with Ken's passing, I don't know how. That will affect the tie-in with Audi and Hoonigan. Nobody's really spoken about it, and it's not really our place to ask right now, right? Like, I'll we'll do our best to try and get that information as it comes out, make sure our members know about it. But how this plays out, you know, I'm sure, uh, I know Brian and, and the team at Hoonigan have already talked about, there's a lot of stuff that they have, again, not just Electricana, but there's a lot of stuff in general that they have. They had filmed him, him, and they're going to let it kind of out as it makes sense uh, for them. Uh, and and where this goes further with Audi, Audi, I don't know because uh, Travis, uh, of course, does the the Subaru stuff uh, where they just did a, a Subaru based Gymkhana as well. But Travis Pastrana is, is I'm, I'd have to think, is contract with the Subaru as well. So uh, I don't know that that really works. And and uh, I've heard rumors of Leah Block, which is Ken's daughter, who's starting a rally career of her own. And she's 16 and would love to see it happen. But uh, as a dad of a 16 year old myself, I also hope she has the time to just grow up and finish being a kid, right? So obviously our thoughts are with her and, and her family in, in uh, this time afterwards, but whatever, we'll see where it goes with, with Hoonigan. Moving along to Dakar, another thing that's interesting about the Hoonigan car, the, the S1 Hoonatron, is that it, it uses a, a Formula E motor. So Audi Sports has developed this MGU05 motor for Formula E. And then of course, when they ended the Formula E program, they still had this development. And so they used two of them in the, in the S1 Hunitron, and then they use actually three in the uh, RSQ e-tron that runs at the car. So one for the front axle, one for the rear axle, just like the Hunitron. Uh, and then in the uh, RSQ e-tron, because it's a hybrid, uh, they use the third one as an energy recovery or, or uh, recuperation uh, mechanism. And they have that hooked up to the two liter DTM engine that Audi Sport had developed for the final years of DTM when the, they'd moved to the four-cylinder turbo uh, spec. And, and that was like an Ulrich Boretsky development. So like a really interesting reuse of technology entirely with Dakar. Uh, we did a preview of Dakar in the issue because Dakar hadn't started yet. Dakar has since come and gone right at the beginning of January. And unfortunately, Audi had to retire two of its vehicles from, uh, I guess, it had been involved in crashes and, and what have you. And 
were kind of out of contention, but whatever, they, they had enough of uh, issues on this round that their two um, most experienced drivers were, were kind of uh, left out of contention. And Matthias Ekstrom, who was kind of further back, and it was only his second year at the car, uh, was kind of the final Audi driver in contention. And he, you know, he was, he did okay, but it was a bit of a challenge, right? Because they were, <laughs> they were just behind. And uh, but the car showed a lot of pace. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. I hope Audi sticks with it, right? Rally and pushing electric technology in such an extreme location is so within, maybe not the electric part is new to Audi, but everything else is very familiar to Audi, right? Like rallying and pushing new technology in very extreme environments with the, you know, obviously that harks back to Quattro and then experimenting as well with more of a science fair type of theme, which is what you really saw in LMP1 racing, right? Whether it was like direct injection with the R8s or the, the diesels then with the R10 and the R18 and then, and then hybrids with, you know, with, with the R18 in the final eras. And it was, it's really, you know, watching that LMP1 era too, in the science fair kind of atmosphere, you had this, this, you know, you look at the RS2 e-tron, it's this excellent sort of like uh, perfect storm of, of you know, the Quattro era kind of harkens that and, and the LMP1 era kind of harkens that. And then in this kind of spaceship looking thing that it, the RSQ e-tron is. So all really cool. And they, they didn't see a win this year and they were very much in a position to do, you know, to be there. They were very competitive, still a very cool program. And there hasn't, I don't know that I've seen talk of like either going further in the FIA rally raid series where they're located or where with its cars part of rather so i guess they're they're qualified for that right the car is homologated for uh for the car so it could run in that series and they have kind of used that for kind of shakedowns and some of the other races but they've kind of cherry picked it i hope they stay with it i don't know if they're going to do the whole series i don't know if that makes sense uh especially with f1 and the other stuff they're planning but uh but at the same time it's it's so very cool i hope they keep gunning for the car and they keep this program going because it's it's really impressive all right so the next story we did for the magazine was while i was over in germany and happened to be grabbing dinner or, or catching up with an old friend of mine from audi design uh, gary Telak. and gary an out total audi enthusiast uh has a 220 valve 91 avant a very special one cool like kind of it's an, probably one of the earliest out exclusive cars right it was a test painting a test paint out of like a green color that Audi is considering never actually put into production. So it's the only one that was ever made. Uh, it's always been owned by somebody in the Audi design department. One of the coolest cars. We're going to have to feature it at some point. He's got a Coupe S, a 100 Coupe S that he's kind of car sitting uh, for a friend in Greece. And uh, and then Daly's an SQ8. Uh, just, just really, really cool guy. When I was telling him, I was just looking for some stuff to do. I had a couple days to kill between two different Dolce Vita tours of, of Audi, mem Audi club members who were coming to Germany. I was looking for things to do. He was he said, well, have you seen the the uh, the E-Legend EL1? It's a, a NEV made to kind of harken the Sport Quattro uh, that Audi made in the 80s. And it's, it's being built by a German startup. Uh, who's it's a, like a monocoque chassis and electric drivetrain. And they're going to be, rather than just building kind of like sport quattros only, they're going to do a series, a couple, a series, small run of these. And then using this technology, this chassis set, component set, they're going to do other uh, kind of probably rally icons. If you caught one of our more recent uh, podcasts, Marcus Holzinger uh, from Hote Design is is one of the partners in E Legend and uh, caught up with him to kind of discuss that 
which was background for the story in the magazine. So if, you, if you're just listening to our podcast for the first time, check out one of the most recent episodes with Marcus. Um, and he, he, he speaks much more about it. But we were able to go by Hote Design Studios and take a closer look at the uh, E-Legend, which is just really, really rad. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting in that this car, it's not, it's not intended to be an Audi, right? Like it, it definitely parks certain Audi Sport Quattro design cues, but it's not, other than that, it doesn't really share anything with Audi, right? Like it's a carbon monocoque. It might, who knows, they may, may buy some components um, being that they're based in Southern Germany. Uh, some of these components may be components that Audi, you know, OE suppliers may also uh, use or sell Audi, I don't know. Um, that hasn't really been determined because the car's not really in production yet. This was a kind of a rolling prototype. Because it's not an Audi, they're able to do things that I think Audi may not even do, right? Like Audi, when they make a car, has a particular current design language, whether it's use of the single frame uh, or whether it's more aerodynamic uh, needs. So you have these sort of like sport back, very smooth and efficient body lines. Um, the E-Legend has this very distinctive 80s um, kind of C-pillar that's that harks the Urquatra so you know, almost literally, but really it's not a retro design. It's just, it's a design that sort of breaks from, you know, the, the modern norms of, of kind of jelly bean or very smooth or very, um, you know, subtle or not so subtle sometimes, um, but like body shaping, et cetera. And, and, you know, with, with, to me, one of the more interesting parts is like the front, um, you know, Audi has a single frame and everything has that single frame in some way or derivation. And with this, they don't really need to do a single frame. Uh, and and kind of like hearkening the the kind of two horizontal uh, lines, if you will, of the, the original Sport Quattro grille and then the lower grills. Um, in doing that, it's interesting though, they almost created like a, a very extreme single frame, right? Like it's uh, the way this is kind of framed around and, and goes up and around the, the front of the vehicle. But it's it's probably something more extreme than Audi would never do uh, nowadays. So it's it's interesting to see. While this isn't an Audi, I still think it's relevant. You know, we we've covered Spiker and and other companies like that, right? That used Audi components in the past. Stylistically, the Spiker looked nothing like anything that Audi would ever built, and you'd never know other than it's got a 4.2 underneath and and some Audi um, OEM parts uh, that they bought from suppliers. So like, you know, in this case, even if it uses no supplier parts it's it's it harkens so much Audi design that it's still kind of put it in the family if you will or something Audi enthusiasts would care about and be interested in so and this is kind of like um a, a, a an interesting product too because it's like an EV uh, but they're trying to do what kind of Singer does right which is this if you have a lot of money because it's probably pushing a million dollars I'd imagine again the numbers in the story in the book you know you, you'll have this very exclusive car and while it isn't like a you know, uh, based on some old, older car, like a Singer is, like an old 911, uh, it's it's entirely new and and um, and very unique. So I, I wish them the best of luck. I would love to be able to buy one of these. I wish I had the money to just be able to put a deposit on one because they are beautiful in person. They're incredibly captivating. And I'm, I'm curious how they, they play out and are received uh, once they come to the market. And I, I encourage Marcus and his team, I hope they do very well with it. Because that's something where, if the ED market goes there, right? I think I can see enthusiasts can see where that's a much more approachable thing. It's a much it's a future I want to live in, where you have enthusiasts buying cars like that versus just 
crossovers that are, you know, A to B. Uh, and then while I was, uh, that was kind of another story that we did. Uh, I was, since I was over in Germany, I, again, I was over there kind of with uh, Audi Club sends guests on the R8, uh, well, typically R8 uh, Dolce Vita tour, which is driving from Southern Germany, Bavaria down into Italy uh, in typically R8s, uh, but now moving towards uh, some EVs as well. They're starting to include RS e-tron GTs. We're still doing tours around um, the, the R8 exclusively, but you know, with the R8 sunsetting, you have the the GT, the RS e-tron GT kind of taking up that space and, and that baton and moving on. So we went over, I went over for a week. We had some guests, you see in this photo, we're at Museum Mobile uh, and, and visiting Ingolstadt uh, and the facilities there before they head out on their trip. And then I, I had a couple of days down before and the next wave of guests came into um, Munich and uh, went to do the same thing. So uh, several days to kill. And during that time, I was able to borrow a Q4 from Audi, uh, which um, got me around Southern Germany, right? So there I am in, in Munich with the car and, and uh, drove it down uh, into Austria, into the mountains, uh, down near Salzburg. Went over to Stuttgart to visit Porsche. Went over to Kempton to see Opt Sportsline and and uh, Neckarsalm to the Audi Forum, et cetera. Like really got around. And I guess what I would say is like that it was in, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in electrics and, you know, have learned a lot, but it was interesting to see because like, that's all been here, right, in the US. And now I'm over in Europe where the charging network's a little different, whether I don't have their apps on my phone and the, the hookup is different, but largely the same, right? So, uh, but I wasn't really sure going across. And so having an EV was a little bit of a stress inducer only because um, I'd have to learn the new system. I'd have to download all the apps and hit them all in the right way and, you know, hope they aren't down because charging systems aren't always up, right? So uh, at least here in the US, so like having an EV was a bit of a mixed bag. I thought, well, maybe I can get an RS3 Sport back, right? Like I can just fill it up whenever I need to. And in, in case of an EV, I'm going to have to stop and charge. And and no joke, I started in Munich and went up to Ingolstadt and then back down to Munich and then out to Salzburg and then into Kempton and then uh, across Stuttgart was in there. Like there was a lot of drive. And uh, that was the challenge, right? Because in some cases you're trying to get places in one day where you're on the Autobahn and on one hand you want to bomb right it, it is the autobahn you can go on limited speed why wouldn't you so you're flying along and and but you're also watching your range come down quite a bit because at autobahn speeds you're definitely at a different level of consumption of electric or fuel uh, than you are in in the u.s even at like higher speeds you know higher speeds in the u.s aren't quite the same unless maybe you're in nevada and you know playing with your own luck uh hopefully not to get pulled over but in germany it's completely legal to go on limited speed and you know if you're in an unlimited speed zone and you want to uh and so i'm trying to get places but i'm also trying to have fun and uh and you got to stop and charge and then you're down and you know you're down for however many minutes and you hope you hit the right speed charger i will say their infrastructure is way better over there uh they have a lot more chargers at, at um and everything's uniform teslas don't have their own special chargers as they do here in the u.s they've Kind of forced Elon to do a standardized plug so that everybody is using the same stuff. And uh, they have a lot more EVs on the road over there that I experienced at least. Uh, maybe not more than California, but certainly more than me here in Pennsylvania. And uh, and a lot more charging stations. And for the most part, faster. 
I did have some challenges just kind of like getting different networks to work. But if you, I, when I could, I stayed on Ionity stuff because like in the US with Electrify America, it's the fastest uh, and, and seemingly the most reliable. So I used those when I could, but not having a home base. Uh, I'll kind of get to that when I, uh, I'm going to talk here a little bit in, in kind of my own ownership experience, but like not having a home base where I could just charge it in overnight. It was, it was a bit of a challenge. Like I tried charging it when I stayed near Ingolstadt near the factory and there's some factory chargers there, but I didn't have the key code or whatever to make it work there. So I couldn't charge overnight there. Uh, so every time I charge, I have to find fast charging because uh, slow charging, you know, I, I, I wasn't either staying in a hotel that had it or I wasn't, you know, I was on an Audi corporate facility where I didn't have the Audi corporate card or the code to make it work. Um, and, and kind of the, over here in the US, we have a little bit more in the way of free chargers, I think, at least in my experience. So that was one thing. I uh, wanted to go fast on the Autobahn and found myself going slower because, you know, it's more efficient. So uh, if you need it to get from X to Y and you don't want to stop, you, you've, you know, you go a slower speed, which was a little bit sad, right? Like, uh, you know, when you're on an unlimited speed zone and you want to go and have fun, um, if you're traveling and you don't know where you are, you don't. If I were here, if it were near my home and I knew where I was charging or I knew my places to charge and I were familiar with it or I had that key code or that card that worked or app that worked at the charging station, I wouldn't have that sort of uh, experience. But I'm a bit of an alien right? in Germany. I don't really know the lay of the land. I don't know the, the system. And so I'm a little bit more cautious and it kind of kind of uh, uh, slowed me down a bit. But I'll say like that said, it didn't like I was driving at one point from Stuttgart to Munich. And the 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 Autobahn between Stuttgart and Munich is the, a lot of unlimited high speed and obviously executives from, you know, Munich area, which could be anywhere from BMW to uh, potentially Audi coming uh, from, from north of Munich uh, and then jumping on that route uh, to Stuttgart. And then, of course, Stuttgart being home to Mercedes and Porsche, there are a lot of like big dog cars that go up and down that stretch. And uh, when I was heading back to Munich from Stuttgart, uh, I did notice a um, might have been Nagaro Blue, might have been uh, one of the Porsche, like Maritime or Shark Blues. I didn't really, wasn't really able to tell, but a Porsche Taycan Sport Turismo is like a wagon version of Porsche Taycan and same platform that the e-tron GT is on, coming in a line of other cars just moving. Like, I mean, you're on the Autobahn, you stay out of the way of cars moving past. And and uh, and this car was flying. And, I, you know, I'm in the, the second lane, maybe the third, but going probably going along at like 75 to 90 miles per hour or thereabouts, right? And and this this Taycan just, you know, bombing past me and then dropped out for a moment into, uh, and went to the far right lane and just kind of slowed down. You have to wonder if he had a text or a call or something that he was dealing with and he dropped out of the, the fast lane, did whatever he had to do. And then he got back out in the fast lane and immediate torque and was gone. And I will say like seeing this, seeing somebody who wasn't concerned about consumption, wasn't concerned about where he was stopping to charge and had a car that was incredibly capable. I'm sure it was like a, you know, a turbo S or whatever the fastest version was. It clearly looked like it at least from watching it go and the pace at which he was able to come along and then, you know, stopping down to about my speed in front of me and then getting back out and going back into warp, if you will, right? like going back to full speed. It was really impressive to watch. And, and so while I was a little bit, a lot on this trip, I was getting a little bit depressed because like you already hear about things of like people kind of against the Autobahn remaining unlimited speed. I hope that never changes, right? Because it's a wonderful thing. 
Um, but but seeing that there are still people in the electric age enjoying it in that way, uh, that that's icon owner was really kind of encouraging to me, right? That it's not something that will be lost with the EVs coming in. And um, I'm guessing he has a place to charge when he gets home, right? A couple exits up or whatever. When he gets back to Stuttgart, he probably plugs it in and there's really no concern about not really range anxiety, but more charging anxiety, right? Like I, I knew how far I could get and the car was in, but I knew how fast I had to go. And it wasn't really anxiety. It was just more like, man, that stinks. I can't go, you know, as fast as I, I want or the Q4 would take me because, you know, I want to get there. And if I go at that speed, I'm not going to get there. And then I'm going to have to stop and charge. It's a learning curve, right? But it'll be interesting to see as the infrastructure comes along, uh, what have you. I will say on that trip too, though, uh, and this is kind of where we are, right? At this kind of crossroads of of EV and uh, ICE. One of the things that I did was I stopped at Op Sportsline uh, to say hi to Carla and the team there and see some of the cars they had on display, shoot their facility. And they were kind enough to let me take an RS6 Plus out and also review that in the magazine. I'm not going to get into that here. Loved it. I own an RS6, very OE um, approach to tuning with opt and it's faster and it handles more precisely and everything else uh so really cool sort of thing if you have an rs6 and you want something a little bit more a little bit more edge i think opt makes an amazing product but like for me it was also really interesting getting out in this car having come in, in the q4 and trying to like maintain my range and you know knowing i had to be there by a certain point during the day and so i couldn't i didn't have time to stop and charge again uh, so i had to like stick to a certain speed to make sure i could get there um fortunately opt had a 50 kilowatt charger through the Q4 on the charger while I was there. So, you know, it would be full charge by the time I, I go to leave. But then they handed me the keys to the RS6 and said, you know, go have fun and uh, see you in a bit. And I went out to look for a place to photograph the thing. Uh, and found, obviously you can see, I found this uh, this property here where I shot it, but like it was, you know, inhalation, right? Now I can get on it and the sounds and the delivery, and you know, it's just so raw and so in your face and so attention getting. Attention getting not unlike that that Taycan Sport Turismo, right? Where it was, it's 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 something that more lustful than say a, a small to mid-sized crossover, and um, it was amazing. Anyway, I'm still very much at this crossroads, right? Like I, we need both, and and um, so uh, sometimes when you hear that like internal combustion is going away, I, I can definitely that's where I'm like I'm not full on Kool-Aid drinking, full on ED, right? Like I, I I embrace it, and I know it's coming, and I. Uh, I want to be an early adopter, but at the same time, like I totally get where other people are coming from too. Because if that RS6 is gone, if I can no longer have access to that, um, you know, then nobody's going to take them away per se. But when they stop making them, that's going to be a bit of a uh, something to be missed, right? Because uh, it's such a cool thing uh, in so many ways, whether it's uh, the sound or the power delivery or you know the, the the way it says "get out of the way" with the growl and the you know the, the audible rumble as it comes along. Anyway, it was just interesting because driving them back to back was was uh, a real eye opener in a lot of ways. It kind of spoke to kind of this crossroads that so many of us find ourselves in, including I'm sure people who are developing new product at Audi. So kind of on that note, right? Like we've had our e-tron, like our family e-tron since 2019. E-tron came out in the U.S. in in kind of summer of 2019, uh, maybe early summer, late spring. And then by September, um, my wife had taken a new job and we had went to the dealer and ordered an e-tron. We, we got this, this is ours, CM Beige and, 
and uh, which is kind of like Porsche chalk, but a little more on the, the, the beige side of, of that than chalk, which is a little more on the white side. Ours has been lowered uh, a little bit. And then I run 22 inch um, SQ7 wheels just to kind of make it look cool, right? I'm an enthusiast and I want to uh, make it unique and make it more sporting. And that's what we did. So that is our e-tron. But nowadays, that was, you know, what, September 2019. And it's now, you know, February of 2023. So we've, we've got a number of years on the car and um, 50, 56,000 miles. 57,000 miles, something like that. So have had plenty of experience driving it long distance, short distance, uh, getting to know infrastructure and everything else and a lot of lessons learned. And um, I think that's where like, it's hard sometimes sitting in this crossroads between or, or space between people who are full on ED proponents and people who are full on uh, ice proponents and anti-ED, right? Like in, and the whole spectrum in between. It's definitely been an eye opener of like seeing the, the good and the bad that come with EV. And, you know, with the good, the e-tron is uh, an excellent vehicle. My wife's purpose is she has a 70 mile a day commute. And I mentioned, I think early in this, that I'm, I'm kind of holed up with COVID at the moment. And I'm, so I'm, I'm quarantining here at the office. And, and uh, last week my wife had COVID first and I didn't. So I'm taking the girls, uh, our daughters to, uh, to school every day. Their school is near my wife's work. So it's like a, a 30, 30 mile run. And, um, I drove the EV all week, right? We have a, an RS6 and an e-tron in the household and trying to keep the miles off the RS6, but also trying not to burn a lot of fuel and, and a lot of money. I could come over every night and charge it up. I never had to stop for gas. You know, it's already aggravated to be spending so much time a day driving. Um, what's my wife's normal daily commute? I was doing twice a day uh, to, to take the girls in and out of, from school and then still come to work. And, and, um, so 140 miles a day in the middle of winter, I was by charging it up to 100% every day, I was, I was able to do that run no problem and still have some, some juice to get around town. So, uh, you know, obviously it's in the winter, so the battery's lower. lower uh, normally in the summer, we get like 200 to 220 miles out of range and even, even still today now uh, with software updates and 50 plus thousand miles on the car, uh, we're still doing that. But like during the summer, or sorry, during the winter when things are cold, it, it doesn't go as far and with two other bodies in the car as well for part of that. Uh, it's not running efficiently. And of course, I'm not driving slowly on the highway uh, where we are. So, so, uh, so a hundred and probably 150, 160 miles are, are what you get on a hundred percent charge. But like we have a home charger charges in about six or seven hours. And, and so uh, when you park it at night, you're done. And, and so my wife never stops for gas. In fact, she gets aggravated when she has to drive my car because she has to stop for gas. And that's something she just doesn't have to worry about anymore uh, with her car. So she actually prefers that. Um, and, and, you know, that's all, it's all for what you need the car to do, right? The RS6 does very different things for us than the, the e-tron and whether that's just uh, the noises it makes or being an RS6, the performance, or whether it's uh, going to Maine on, when we go on, you know, it's like a 10 hour drive. Uh, last summer we took the RS6 the year before we did take the e-tron and we just worked around the charging, but um, which is doable entirely. I think we've covered that in podcasts here before too, like doing long distance road trips with it. It's certainly doable, but, um, but the convenience of ice is still there. And so like, I still feel, you know, you need, uh, depending on your needs, I guess, right? Like, uh, um, 
I still think there's a market for both, but the e-tron is, or EVs in general, are an amazing product for people who have that sort of consumption. And last week, I definitely had that sort of consumption. I didn't want to drive the RS6. I wanted to drive the e-tron. It definitely met that need. On the downside, though, I have to say, like, this is where I get concerned where Audi is, you know, Daniel Weissland, when I was in at the Q4 launch in California, mentioned uh, CEO of Audi or president of Audi of America, uh, Daniel Weissland said that uh, they will stop developing internal combustion from 2025. So that doesn't mean cars, internal combustion cars stop uh, being produced in 2025. But it, what it does mean is like no new new developed cars at that point beyond 2025. And that to me is, it seems a bit aggressive, right? On one hand, things are moving very fast in the conversion to electric. But on the other hand, I've now had this e-tron from 2019, right? It's now 2023. So let's say four years. And in 2025, it's just two years from now. Um, and then what, five to seven for a production cycle uh, of uh, that final run of new vehicles. You know, you're it's not that far out. You're 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 saying maybe nine years total uh, until you're probably fully EV at Audi. And um, now nobody's told me that exactly, right? But I'm just kind of doing the math. If they're done developing by 2025, and seven years is probably about life cycle, maybe further. Uh, but but that's probably a safe assumption. Where I'm going with that is like we bought our e-tron in 2019, and very quickly I took it to Vermont on a road trip. And what I learned was that like the closest electrify America is from, from my home in central Pennsylvania is probably about 30 miles from here, uh, near where like I-81 and I-76, the Pennsylvania Turnpike intersect in, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was closest electrify America. And then there were a couple others in Pennsylvania kind of around as I would hit a road trip. And when you're on a, when you own an EV for the most part, the most convenient way to own it is like charging at home or charging at work. Whenever you have downtime, slow charging, it's the, it's the, best for maintaining the life of the battery. Uh, it's the best way to charge the car. So hard, or fast charging is hard on the battery. It's it's gonna lower its useful life. So continual fast charging is not really what you wanna be doing. You wanna have some sort of slow charge during downtime. It's the most efficient way to own an EV. We do, we have a charging at home, level two, and my wife has level two charging at work, which is free for her. So it's both economical and it's good for the car. Um, so, and it's always while she's downtime, right? Either at work or at home sleeping and it charges. So usually if you, if you live in that sort of optimum use world, like my family does, you're dealing with fast charging then only when you're on road trips. And then, you know, you're down for like 15, 20 minutes, you, you get the heart of the battery charged. You're maybe not charging it up the full way uh, because it's fastest from like 20 to 80%. So beyond that, you're just sitting. So if you, if, if you stop between 20 and 80 every time, you're gonna fast charge the fastest you can. Uh, you could go the whole way to 100, right? But like you're gonna spend another 20 minutes getting from like, you know, actually probably more than that, getting from 80 to 100. It's it's like another 10 minutes or so to 90, and then another like 15 to 90, 100 from my experience. So like, you know, when I'm on long road trips, I just try and keep it in the heart of the, you know, in the fast charging in the heart of the the range of the battery. And you're not really down that much, but you still have to plan your your charging stops and in the five, what, um, four years now that I've owned the car, e Electrify America has built out its infrastructure pretty well, right? Like we we took it first to Vermont that first year and then taking it to Vermont again, I've taken it to Wisconsin, I've taken it to Maine um, two years ago, or not last summer, but the summer of uh, 21. And 
there's definitely more infrastructure there. Although he, even here where I am in central Pennsylvania, you have two kind of like major cities in by Pennsylvania standards, like Harrisburg, the capital, and Lancaster, which is another city about the same size. Neither of those have an EA station, Electrify America station, nor do they have anything faster than like a 50 kilowatt charger, which is about a percentage point a minute um, at a couple of car dealerships. But there's no big fast charging station like an EA, Electrify America would be. That Carlisle location is still the only one around here. And while there are a lot more along like the main routes, I-81 and, and Pennsylvania Turnpike, I-76 or I-95, uh, it's still not ubiquitous like the Tesla stuff. Like Tesla's, and again, Tesla's on a different network or different, you know, charging hookups. So like until they unify that, you can't use the Tesla stations. Uh, I guess the other side of that is Tesla owners, which there are way more electric Teslas on the road right now than there are um, pretty much anything else. Um, they can't use the, or you know, it's not really optimum for them to use an electrify America station. It's only one of those typically in the EA, only one of them is set up for Tesla. Regardless, it's not really building out that fast. And the other side of it is it's not always like the focus is on build out, not always on maintenance. So like, it's not uncommon now that I, I'll go to a station and like, they're a little buggy or one's down or maybe two are down or whatever. I've, I've now seen a couple situations, um, where, you know, the entire thing is down. And if the entire thing is down, now you've got to find another station. Well, here where I am in central Pennsylvania, if there's one in Carlisle, that's 30 miles away. The next one is probably another 50 miles. So if you, if you got it wrong, you don't really have a lot of options. And like, um, you know, that's one side of it. The other side of it is there are a lot more electric cars on the road. So when I first bought my e-tron, I went to the Electrify America station in like uh, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. It was a Walmart. And I, I found myself chatting to some Walmart customers who were curious uh, what I was doing. It was like a spaceship that had landed and plugged in, right? Uh, and wanted to see what we were doing. And uh, I was one of the first ones they'd seen. That was 2019. My most recent experience was going to an event, uh, car show over in, uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Enough that I could get there and back, but to be safe, I would stop and throw some charge on. But the, the, the event we were going to was literally two miles from Electrify America station. So I thought, well, I'll just stop at EA and throw you know, 10, 20% on it. I'll be there for a couple minutes and we'll hit the road. Uh, but it'll, then I, you know, I, I have no issues driving at whatever speed I want to come home. And so we went there, we went to the event and we're coming in, or as we're driving in to the event, I drove right past the EA station and I looked down and I thought, well, maybe if they're empty, I'll, I'll pop in and, and throw it on the charger quickly. So I'll have to deal with it on the way out. But all the chargings, all the chargers were full. This is like a, like a Saturday morning, right? All the chargers were full and I can see there are like two other cars waiting. And I was like, all right, well, they're busy. I'll hit it on the way out. So we go to the car show, come back a couple hours later and we come in and again, they're all busy and there's one car waiting uh, to, to charge. And I thought, well, just to be safe, I'm still gonna go in and, and do it. So I, I, you know, how long can they be? And so pulling in, I, I you know, I, I'm looking at like everything there. Every car there had out of state plates, which means they're doing exactly what you'd expect them to do, right? They're on a long trip and they need to charge up because they don't have access to a slow charger all makes sense. Uh, so there were like Carolina's plates and like New York plates and, you know, Massachusetts plates, whatever. And here I am in central Pennsylvania. One of the charging stations was down, right? So like all of us tried that one and I, you know, called Electrify America. They restarted a couple times, whatever. It just wasn't working. So that left three others. And um, which means there were 
even though there were four cars at the charging stations and one ahead of me, now that meant there were two ahead of me. And who knows how long that would take. One of the people had left an e-tron, uh, actually another e-tron there charging. It wasn't charging quickly. And they must have gone to like one of the businesses nearby and grabbing lunch or whatever, uh, because it, it, at the pace it was charging, it would have charged, taken an hour, right? So you knew that one wasn't going to open up quickly. I did the math and thought, okay, if I drive home at like 55, it was a highway, right? 55 mile per hour speed limit anyway. If I drive home at like 55 to 60, I'll get home, no issues. Um, if I try to drive my normal speed going home, it would have been tight, right? And so knowing that there are no fast chargers near me and the next fast charger is 30 miles west of me, I needed to get home or, or I'd be stopping for hours on a slow charger um, to get juice to get home. So like the, it's that situation, right? Where like the infrastructure isn't there yet, but unfortunately or fortunately car manufacturing is, right? Kia, Hyundai, Rivian, um, everybody's got EVs coming out, Mercedes, BMW, um, the, the, the amount of vehicles on the road now are much, much higher. And even if we all charge at home, which is great, it, the, if the infrastructure isn't there to support us on long trips, like all those out-of-state plates uh, that were there, they're on a long trip to wherever they're going. And they're going to sit there until that stuff's done, whether it's charging quickly or whether it's, you know, the e-tron for the guy who went for a burrito and, and uh, it's going to take him an hour. Uh, even though he's on a fast charger, it's, it's charging at a very slow speed. So like, Man, I'm I'm pro EV and I, I I get where it's going, but the infrastructure is not yet there to support where the cars are on the road now, much less the many many more in the pipeline. So that's where like I think maybe I diverge even from Audi with their product planning, which is I don't know if 2025 is or 20 you know what 2030 it it put you know 25 25 plus five year product life cycle. Uh, I don't know if we're there yet. Like, I don't know if we'll, I, I love my e-tron for that, my wife's 70 mile a day commute or me doing the 140 as I was last week. It is an amazing product. But like for me to go to that car show, had it been 10 miles further up the road, I would have been sitting there for hours or who knows how long waiting for um, one of these other long distance travelers to get off the charger so that I could get home, right? And I, I don't know, I can check the app and see if there's anybody on EA at like 8 a.m. when I'm leaving my house and maybe they're not, but that doesn't say they won't be at, at 9.30 when I roll through there or you know, afternoon when I come back through. And you can't reserve things like that. So you just have to hope. And, and so where I I've taken my car, my e-tron to Vermont twice, and I've taken it to Maine once and I've taken it to Wisconsin once. And I, I love it. My, my family has a... Uh, a trip to Charleston, South Carolina next week. And I will not be taking e-tron. I'm not even remotely interested in taking it. And while I love it on the road, it's quiet and comfortable and, you know, love it. I don't want to deal with charging. I don't want to deal with charging with like every Ionic 5 and, you know, whatever Rivian, whatever else is on the road uh, that's going to take up those plugs uh, that I won't be able to charge. And I, you know, whereas when we went to Maine two years ago, uh, I, I rarely only once in that entire trip did I have to wait for a charger. Uh, you know, there were a couple maybe chargers that weren't working or all that fast or whatever, but only once when I got into like Kittery, Maine, there were a couple of cars there and I had to wait 15 minutes, uh, which was no big deal, right? We weren't in a hurry uh, and an outlet mall and, and my wife and kids went shopping, but like 
you know, it, you just kind of get used to that with travel with electrics. Like I'm, I'm okay with like the 15 minutes to 20 minutes to whatever. Uh, and I can deal with it, check my mail on my phone or whatever. But, but when you start like really getting into the, the commonality, I, I, on one hand, my experience in Allentown was anecdotal, right? Like you don't always know that like, that's the experience, but I can see all these more EVs on the road that I didn't see in 2019 when we bought the car. And I don't see that many more fast chargers going up. Maybe not, maybe in other states, but not here in Pennsylvania. Electrify America has, has built more, certainly, but not enough that like, I really feel comfortable taking the car at this point. I'm definitely gonna start watching those stations as I see them driving by when I'm on trips. But, um, but for this trip to Charleston, I don't really wanna put the miles on the RS6 either. So we've rented a, an A5 sport pack from one of the new Audi on-demand locations at Audi Conchock in here outside of Philly. And we're going to take that car to, to Charleston because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not really, on one hand, Audi on-demand exists and that's great. Formerly silver car, right? Like the like Audi's rental agency and Audi club, you get a 25% discount. So it made it really affordable to do an Audi and, and, uh, and, you know, I'm familiar with Audi products and whatever. So I'm really psyched to be, uh, to be doing that and not have to put them as models on the RS6, but I don't know. I'm worried about EVs and, and where the market goes because uh, a ton of new EV cars are coming on the market and the infrastructure is not really there for long distance travel. So while they're a great product for if you have a charger at home or charger at work or, you know, public charger near your work that you can hit. Great, amazing product. But for long travel, it's not there yet. And it's, it's you know, what, where the, um, the infrastructure had definitely gotten there uh, a year ago. And, and there weren't that many people using them. Today, if I went through East Stroudsburg, at Wal I wouldn't be a spaceship landing at, you know, at Walmart where those Walmart customers look twice at me because I'm sure it's a much more common thing. There are cars there all the time. I don't know. I, I'm, uh, I guess I'm just, uh, just concerned about, uh, about where this goes, right? Like I, we need to be spending more on infrastructure if this is going to be a real thing. And I, I'm concerned for companies like Audi that if you're throwing all your chips in on EVs, um, and, and that infrastructure doesn't get there. Now you're, you know, it takes so long to develop a car line, but you better hope it's there by the time, you know, that the, the EV or ICE development ends uh, and EV picks up because, you know, if you're a, a customer that needs more, to, has to drive more than your range in a day with regularity, you're not going to accept that as a, as a real product. So curious how it goes. Our, our uh, e-tron hasn't been perfect. We've had a couple of mechanical, it's first year production of a new vehicle and a new, all new drivetrain, right? So I'm not really too worried about that. Um, but everything was warrantied and whatever else, that's great. We're off warranty now. Uh, it's been fine since we've been off warranty, but I'll probably, uh, given like 65,000 miles and the value starting to come down, et cetera, we'll probably trade that in for, I may hold out for the Q8 e-tron. My wife kind of likes the Q4. I've noticed the e-tron GT is starting to depreciate. Where the market is starting to depreciate in general, electrics are kind of being a little soft. And we're seeing like used e-tron GTs even around like where normally I think they started 110 or more um, used e-tron GTs on Autotrader and stuff are starting in like the 80s, right? So uh, it's probably a little out of our price range. But if you were going to buy a loaded out new e-tron or Q8 e-tron, um, it's probably similar money. So I think that's a smoking deal. Uh, I am admittedly curious about e-tron GT. I don't know that uh, my wife wants to spend that much money on a car and it probably wouldn't be all that responsible. Kids going to college, everything else. But, um, but I mean, it's, it's cool. And I think that speaks to like availability of electrics too, right? Used e-trons are also getting very affordable um, and it's great product. Like if you can deal with the charging, it's an amazing vehicle.
beyond that, I guess so that's where I'd go, like what I learned in this issue of the magazine and seeing the R8 going away, seeing the TT going away uh, and, and recognizing that like maybe shutting the door on internal combustion entirely is maybe a premature thing to do, at least from my, you know, my little seat here, not at a car company or knowing what Electrify America's plans are, or, you know, other infrastructure and, you know, whatever plans are. Uh, I still think that there's a market for internal combustion. And so just thinking again, this is just me. I don't, I haven't heard anything from Audi other than I know that like R8 from last I'd heard, they hadn't decided yet whether to go fully electric with R8 or try and do something that's kind of a blend. It wouldn't, wouldn't be normally aspirated. Uh, probably wouldn't be just ice, but maybe a hybridized something or other. Nobody really knows. So here's what I think they ought to do. One is, um, 2.5 TFSI. It's an Audi developed motor. It's right. Like, whereas when I say Audi developed at one time, Quattro Gambia, which is an Audi sport, right. Used to make all of their own engines. Volkswagen group develops engines like the 2.0T, depending on the version was developed by Volkswagen. Um, the 2.9T uh, or sorry, the, the, the three liter turbo and the three liter supercharged developed by Audi, the 2.9 by turbo developed by Porsche, the current version of the four liter, um, V8 twin turbo that's in the RS6 is a Porsche developed motor, uh, but they're all kind of developed by Volkswagen Group, right? And so the 2.5, uh, the the Daza, right? The, the five-cylinder turbo that's in the TTRS and RS3 is an Audi-derived or Audi-developed motor. So what I think they ought to do is continue to keep a core, even perhaps premium, so not your not your most economic vehicles, right? Like A3 or A4, uh, or Q5, two liter, Q3, obviously it wouldn't be there with price point, but develop a hybrid drivetrain five cylinder. So in the old days, everything was five cylinder anyway, right? Uh, and so develop a hybridized five cylinder and, and use that for various things. And for me, the halo cars would be do a next generation R8 hybrid with a five cylinder. And, a, you know, the rumor was that in the day they developed an, a five cylinder R8 anyway, but it didn't have a torque signature that they expected for R8. So it really didn't have that low end grunt that like um, Audi develop, the Audi development team wanted at the time uh, for that car and the V10 did, right? So, uh, but, but like a, a hybrid would kind of offset that, right? You'd have all this immediate electric torque and then build boost and boom, you know, it's gone. So do an R8 with that drivetrain and to a, um, I would even argue like a, like an R, something off-road, like an RSQ e-tron for the road, right? Like the Dakar, something inspired by the Dakar uh, program, but, you know, an Audi version of like what a, a Raptor, right? Like the a Raptor is basically like a, a trophy truck built on an F-150. Um, do something like that, you know, obviously not a truck, but like something that's, you know, you know, Trophy trucks, race at Baja, whatever else, they're they're motorsport inspired, and you know it's a total perfect halo car for Ford. Makes sense. But now with this RSQ to car program, having this sort of like supercar off road, one, you know, an off road vehicle wouldn't be wouldn't have to be competing with the likes of Lamborghini or Porsche, uh, you know, the Safari and the Storato, whatever they call it, Storato. Is that what they call it? The um, the off road. Huracan or the uh, the off-road 911, which is called the Dakar, um, are kind of different things, right? I'm thinking definitely something a little bit more seriously off-road and and uh, and 
you know, with a five cylinder turbo and a hybrid would just be pretty cool. The other thing I guess I'd say, um, kind of getting around, so I'm gonna get a little bit philosophical here, but getting around the nature of appliance right? That's something that Scott and I talked about when we were talking about the, the idea of like what Electricana meant uh, and, and the development for it was kind of meaning. And, and even what, some of the things we lament about, uh, I know Brian said it very well uh, in, about the growing up on internal combustion cars and kind of seeing the way it's going and missing the theater, if you will. I think theater was my word, but like um, in that conversation, but it was more, you know, the, the visual of flame popping out of the exhaust pipe of some crazy car or, or the, the sound, the, the, um, whether it's the, the audible rumble of the engine or whether it's straight cut gears of a transmission and all these sort of elements of the theater of automotive experience kind of get lost with electrics because you don't have that flame pop. You don't have the transmission. You don't have, you know, the internal combustion sound. And so sound and, and uh, visuals are still, they stimulate you in a way that's very basic, right? And very primal and, and, uh, electrics are much more sterile, at least as we know them today, right? So maybe whether it's a straight cut gears with an actual transmission or something else that's not manufactured and synthesized, I guess, I don't know, maybe eventually, you know, it's kind of like the synthesizer in music, right? In the 80s when everything was like hair bands and still kind of rock and roll, uh, synthesizers were kind of looked down upon where nowadays today, uh, you know, house music and, and, and full synthesization is really no big deal. Uh, even, even, uh, you know, auto tuning is, is, you know, again, laughed at when it first happened is, is, is kind of much more common today. So maybe tomorrow's customer doesn't care so much about the synthesized version of, of the, the theater or the drama, right. But there still has to be drama. Uh, music isn't silent today. It's just different and uh, maybe more synthesized, but, but it still very much inspires you in a very raw and, and guttural way. And, um, you know, it's not elevator music, which I guess is what the appliance of right of right of uh, elevator music would be the, the the effective appliance of the music world, right? Like it's just there. It's just neutral. It it serves a purpose, but it doesn't really inspire. Doesn't really get you going, uh, or or you know, tapping your foot, dancing, whatever you might do, because you're inspired by the music. And it, similarly with cars, um, yeah, the, we run the danger with these silent very efficient, very comfortable cars like my e-tron, amazing thing. But is it also to the people who just want an A to B mover, it's the elevator music just serves a purpose kind of, you don't even really think about it, you miss it. And with cars, you want that theater, you want that that beat that makes you want to go and makes you want to like, like just, just inspires you to, to drive or go someplace or experience that independence and that passion um so i don't know it, it, we need something there and I, I would say the other side of that is in addition to like adding that in I, one of the things i genuinely miss and i think it's it's happening across the car industry is it happened before electrification is the sort of loss of that hidden language of engineering right there's this inside baseball kind of like language that enthusiasts speak and it happened at all brands, right? Like, or not all brands, but like the enthusiast technology driven brands, the brands uh, where people really cared. You know, you go to a Corvette owner and you tell them, 
you know, a C8 or a C5 or a C2, they know exactly what it is. To some people, that's just a letter and a number. And honestly, Corvette never marketed any of that, right? So like, it's not like you could read in a you know, Corvette catalog back in the 80s or look, go on their configurator today and see what a C8 is. You don't know. It's Corvette, it's language amongst Corvette owners. And, and we have that language at Audi too, right? Whether that's B2 or, or even more recent, like small chassis Audi, right? Like, which is, is speaks to just B2, B3, um, B4 and, and beyond like a, a certain size of Audi, right? But, or, or you talk about engines, whether it's, uh, Daza is a great example, right? If, you, if you're into uh, modern Audi performance, you know what a Daza is, but if you're not, you don't. And, and so it's kind of this language that like insiders speak and we know exactly that we're talking about the current generation five cylinder with the aluminum block that's in the TTRS and the RS3, that's a Daza. And uh, that, that's something that I think car manufacturers, while we still have that language as enthusiasts uh, and know what Daza is, and that's actually an internal code um, with Daza, unlike small chassis, which is like slang that enthusiasts came up with, uh, B2, or even like go back to that era, B2 is the second generation B chassis, right? So like Ur Quattro and 4000 uh, is also type 85 or type 81, depending on the car that, that again, it's nerd language, right? Like, you know, if you know, you know, and if you're really nerdy and really into it, you know, but those are all internal codes. Uh, 85 is the beginning of like the, the number series of, of parts that, you, you know, if you were to buy parts from that era. Um, but like, even still having uh, 1.8T, 2.0T, 2.5T, um, th these were all designators for like a 1.8T is a 1.8 liter turbocharged four cylinder engine that would have been the TT uh, or the A4 or the B5, you know, that era car. And it, it, it was, you know, there was a badge on the back of the car that said that. So you knew what was in that car uh, or the, the, the TT V6, the first generation or TT that had a, the six cylinder was a VR6, right? Which is a, um, a narrow angle six cylinder that was developed by Volkswagen initially for like the GTI and the Jetta and, and cars like that, but eventually got developed still in production today for like certain larger Volkswagen models. Um, was in the first Q7, et cetera. But like that BR6 had an identity that was on, on Volkswagens. It was on the back of those cars. If you had a Corrado of that era and it was a BR6, it said BR6 on the back. And and um, maybe on the front, nerds will tell me it was SLC on the back, but it was VR6 on the grill, right? And and Volkswagen marketed that name and Audi marketed those names too. And it's, it's you know, the 20 valve and the 220 valve, examples on and on. It, it's gotten lost across the board, right? An e-tron 55 today, what does that even mean, right? Like 55 is just an arbitrary number that suggests a step in performance or equipment level or whatever else. Um, but it doesn't really say anything. Uh, and you see it at, at um, you know, BMW, Mercedes, all these brands that have these rich heritage uh, backgrounds of, 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 um, of engineering and language around that. Like a BMW, a 320i was a three series, two liter in four cylinder engine uh, or early days, maybe in a six cylinder engine, right? And, and injection. Uh, and and uh, if you were an enthusiast, you knew how to read that. Same with Mercedes. And, and that's all kind of arbitrary numbers today and kind of playing with letters to try and cover all the bases because this is, you know, this number is trademarked by this car company and whatever. It's just kind of gotten lost, this language. And, and I feel like, that might be one way to add some identity back into uh, electrics, right? With with kind of talking about the 
the Hoonatron uh, that Ken Block had used for Electricana or the RSQ e-tron that Audi used in Dakar, those both used the MGU05 electric motor that was developed for Formula E. So, right, so Audi developed, as they were, as Formula E was opening up for more, um, more, more development and, and allowing more things to happen technology-wise, not being so spec, Audi developed their own motor. Right, so it's a, a basically a, a motorsport level motor called the MGU05. Not exactly the most catchy name, but there's an identifier there, right? And and uh, you know what it is, and uh, and and how it's used in racing. It like you know this is not a new thing in in the car business, but racing you know race on any day you want, so on Monday, right? Like it's 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 there's something about seeing cars accomplish these incredible feats or running quickly around whatever whether that's sliding around las vegas in a um the s1 e-tron or hunitron or whether that's you know blasting through the desert uh under the car rally uh it, it's inspirational and so um but there's nothing there's nothing that ties that mgu05 developed by audi sport and has won all these things and done all these things to anything in production, right? And so while that might've been even harder in the day, I mean, arguably look at companies like Mercedes uh, or like Aston Martin has their, what is it, the Valkyrie that uses kind of like F1 derived whatever. Of course they can, they're at this crazy high level uh, for price point. You still have this kind of carryover of developing for motorsport and then moving that into um, automotive where automotive enthusiasts kind of really dig into that and, it, and they see that line and they appreciate it more and buy your car as a result and get their friends to buy their cars as a result. Um, developing this MGU-05, I'm not saying maybe use the same, maybe develop a road version of MGU-05 using similar design inspiration of, of you know, components or whatever, but like you've got this credibility you've created through Formula E, through Electricana through to car and and you know to run that then in in a the next generation RS6 electric and have an MGU06 or something some Audi Sport derived motor we already see companies kind of whether it's uh, Lucid or I think Koenigsegg also I think it was who, who developed these kind of small lightweight motors that are kind of I'm, you're still not even really seeing them branding them right but like that might be something that you do here like the R6. VR6 just meant narrow angle V6 motor, right? But when you say VR6, anybody in the Volkswagen or Audi enthusiast space knows exactly what it is. It knows that it's a six cylinder that the Volkswagen group, either Volkswagen or Audi made, even Porsche used in the Cayenne. And, and uh, it is very distinctively technology that belongs to you and your camp. If you're an enthusiast for Volkswagen group brands, it's there and it's part of the component set that you appreciate that engineering. Right now, electric motors in an e-tron GT or a Q4 or a Hyundai or Kia or whatever, there's really no understanding that it's anything different, right? They're commoditized. It's, it's an electric motor. And in a lot of cases, it might be the same components of pliers, much like the seven-speed transmission that's in a lot of cars today is from the same, in a lot of the Audis today is from the same automotive supplier. So I, I get that. But like having an appreciation for the heart of the vehicle or right, what's creating your your drivetrain and making that car go is so core to um, a car brand. So to to make it make something that's not only like distinctively Audi or distinctively Volkswagen Group uh, or distinctively 
derived from running up Pikes Peak in the Volkswagen uh, Pikes Peak car, which IDE, whatever the hell it was, uh, or or running the car. Or you know, I don't think MGU05, by the way, was used in the Volkswagen Pikes Peak car, but I know it was used in Takar, and I know it was used in Formula E, and I know it was used in Electricana. And there, there again, to have something kind of derived from that, uh, and even from a marketing standpoint, taking from that, uh, maybe it's much more consumer-oriented electric motor. Um, but but you're you've got that lineage, and it's Audi Sport developed that creates a premium uh, and a, 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 a passion-inspiring mechanism, right? Not just the mechanism of the motor, but like the mechanism of like how we as enthusiasts learn to appreciate something. I appreciate that it's been raced. I appreciate that it was derived that way, and I appreciate that that's unique to my Audi or unique to my Volkswagen Group vehicle. That it's not going to be in any Ioniq Five that I see at Electrify America Station while I'm waiting for a charger. So like. That's that's kind of where this is me getting on my soapbox to Audi because I don't really have a uh, somebody to speak to there right now to, to kind of like sing this to, right? But like, I, I feel like we're missing the opportunity where it's all there, right? Like you're doing these things anyway. You're about to go into Formula One as well, which by the way is hybrid. So I think it goes back to like speaking to doing the hybrid R8 and the hybrid or R8 replacement with the hybrid uh, RSQ for the road, right? Like, like you're already going to do hybrids anyway. So why not just keep it going with a certain line of your product it's hybridized uh, that's going to get people uh, beyond like the lack of charging infrastructure for the foreseeable future and, and go back to just one core motor that does everything kind of like you did in the in the 80s and 90s. But like beyond that, Audi Sport derived, whatever, this MGU05, like how can we how can we have something that's that's for the road that's kind of like derived from this, right? It makes total sense. And as an enthusiast, I'm looking for that language. I'm looking for that language that I can use with other enthusiasts to kind of share in our passion. And I'm looking for that kind of inside knowledge that I can look more informed uh, and more credible. Literally, as I'm having recording this, I'm getting a text from a friend of mine from college who's uh, happens to be in Chicago at the Chicago Auto Show and wondering if I'm possibly there because I work in the car industry, right? And and uh, am I around to kind of meet up, right? And and chat about the cars that are there because she wants to know more. And, um, and, and presumably I'm the expert she knows, right? It's, we all kind of have that influence over our friends and, and end up talking about cars to our friends because we have that knowledge and, um, you're not giving us language to work with. Right. And, and it can't all be A to B crossovers. It's gotta be things that inspire passion. And I say this as somebody who owns an RS6 because in the days of you know the, the first RS2, the AD Avant was probably today's crossover, right? Like it was this kind of like family mundane people mover compared to the sports cars of the time. But you know, it's clearly a sports car. And while like Q4 is great in the canyons, I was pleasantly surprised. We need things that are passion inspiring. Why else do we care? Like, why do we want to buy an Audi? Why do we want to buy a sports car? Why do we care about owning a car at all? Um Maybe if I only use my phone and I don't have to commute and I can walk everywhere, I live in New York City, whatever, uh, I don't care. But if I'm the Volkswagen Group and if I'm Audi and I make cars, I need to care. Like if cars are your core product, I need to care. And um, that is my concern, right? Like you can go and you can market to people at ski slopes or, um, you know, lifestyle events or restaurants or wherever. And, and they'll, they might buy your car today and that's great. But what keeps them buying your car? Uh, because they'll move away like this. You need something that like inspires passion, inspires investment in brands. And whether that's, um, you know, Disney getting people to be invested in Marvel or Star Wars or princesses, uh, 
over other theme parks or movies or whatever, what makes people want to care to stay in Audi or Volkswagen group brands? And I, I feel like, you know, whatever, I, I, sorry, I'm on a soapbox here, but like, to me, this is, this is something that definitely needed to be riffed upon. It's kind of something that came out of that original conversation with Scott. Oh, we were talking about Electricana and, and um, I've kind of since been thinking about a lot as I was developing a lot of that electric and, and technique issue. And uh, it's something that's just kind of uh, bubbling up. And I had a few minutes here as I'm in my COVID bunker and, and wanted to go over it. So uh, if you're still into this, I know I've gone on a long time. Damn, I can talk a lot. Damn, didn't even have a guest today. It's terrible. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm going to end it because I've gone on long enough and the soapbox is about ready to collapse under the weight of my, my self-indulgence. But, um, but at the end of the day, I thank you for sticking around if you did. We're going to get back to normally scheduled programming here. Probably going to cover the new website here shortly because um, we hope to have it launched here shortly. And I, I should have been probably working on that today too. But um, wanted to get another podcast out and then uh, look for more guests again soon. We're going to go back to the, the guest models. You're not going to have to listen to me just talk and talk and talk. Uh, but we have a couple people lined up that we're going to be talking to soon. And I'd like to get uh, some others if you have some ideas for either stories for the magazine or future podcasts etc drop us a note uh either admin at audiclubna.org or uh if you've emailed directly with me george.acorn.audiclubna.org and, uh, and we'll look to get more soon otherwise have a good one thanks everybody <laughs>